4: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hi, I'm Elizabeth Ferry. Welcome to another rebroadcast from the RTB Archives.
1: Take the shot,
5: count it down, it off. Hey! Meet the swinger, swinger meet the swinger,
4: swinger. Photography
3: as a hobby can lead to photography as a career, and often does. But professional work calls for a lot more than just snapping pictures here and there.
5: Hello, and welcome to Recall This Book Presents, a brand new experiment, a very special Recall This Book. Um, As you know, our usual format is to center discussion around books from the past that help us to make sense of contemporary problems. But today, we have invited a colleague to come in and present rather than a dusty old book. Q Foley man throwing dusty old book across room. Instead, his brand new podcast. We will hear from the creator himself, Here's some tempting highlights from the show, and discuss the ways in which he's approached making podcasts, perhaps even compare them to our own scintillating method of playing our friends with coffee and then locking them in the studio with us. So in our lockbox today, as usual, we have the great escape artist and anthropologist, Elizabeth Ferry. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello. Um, and me, John Plotz. And to our great delight, Professor Jared Green of the Stonehill College English Department. Hey, Jared. Hello. Hello. So, Jared, you started your career as a modernist with articles on Faulkner and That Ilk. But in recent years, you've worked on documentary cinema, on hip-hop, and you also have screenplays and theatrical credits, which are very exciting. So with, that's an amazing resume, and it clearly prepares you to undertake this creative sort of podcast, which we are happy to present, The Electro Library. Um, so it's great to have you. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Pleasure to be locked in here. With yeah, well, I we, we enjoy it. Yes, thanks for playing the, the swinger as my, my theme song. <laughs> <laughs> You'll always be a swinger to me, Jared. Um, so we're going to be hearing a couple of substantial pieces out of your recent episode on photography. Great. Um, I should say one of your two recent episodes on photography. But um, can you just kick things off for us by talking about the genesis of the podcast, by which I mean a couple of things. like in whose eye was it a gleam, and also what happened to that gleam in the months or years before your actual first episode on storytelling dropped in December 2017. And I'd like to request that you use words like dropped a lot in our (laughs) conversation. As is the parlance of podcasting. (laughs) 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 Um,
3: Well, first, I'd like to make clear that this is not solely my production or my creation. So I work with... Uh, professors Amra Brooks and Scott Cohen at Stonehill. Um, and this emerged out of uh, multiple gleams and multiple eyes. So okay. it is something that I wanted to do for a while. I didn't really have any of the equipment. I didn't really have a, a very clear sense of what the show would be. But Scott, in particular, as we at Stonehill were building the Digital Innovation Lab, was also thinking about constructing a podcasting studio, just trying to bring a lot of different forms of digital expression into that space, and so I realized we might have an opportunity, and uh, Amra was also thinking about doing something with her creative writing students, and things sort of lay fallow for a little bit with a lot of intention and desire to make something happen, but no clear ideas, and then I got to thinking, actually, I was inspired by Lewis Lapham's Quarterly, and I was thinking that that could be an interesting format for for a show, is to go out a theme from Many different historical periods, different perspectives, uh, cultural perspectives, and uh, different genres as well. And so I kind of proposed that to Scott. We
5: wound up joining forces to think of doing this kind of magazine or anthology. Show. Maybe with that in mind, we can just listen to the first three minutes of the episode. The it's called photography part one. Literally, this is the beginning that you will hear when, as you, I hope you do, when you go to listen to all the episodes of Electro Library. This is how. Uh, Photography Part One of Electro Library actually starts, and we'll be back to discuss it uh, in three minutes.
3: Photography is often called the universal hobby. It is a means of creative expression within the reach of people in all walks of life, and it speaks a language that everyone can understand.
0: What happens when we take a photograph? What happens when we capture light on paper, in emulsion, or in pixels, and look across a gulf of time at these fragments of the past? What gets in the frame and what lies just beyond it? If, as John Berger notes, Photographs bear witness to a human choice being exercised in a certain situation. Then, what can photographs tell us about the choices we make and why we make them? From the Stonehill College English Department, in conjunction with the Digital Humanities and Creative Writing programs, it's the Electro Library. A podcast, a literary neural network, a philosophical space time remix. A kaleidoscope of consciousness on electromagnetic waves. Each episode explores a single theme across time, cultures and disciplines. The Electro Library, a cabinet of curiosities for your ears. Episode 3: Photography. Here we go.
3: The camera lens is a mechanical eye,
0: seeing everything
3: and recording everything. It captures actions that will never again be repeated. People were stunned when they heard that two inventors had perfected a process that could capture an image on a silver plate. It is impossible for us to imagine today the universal confusion that greeted this invention. So accustomed have we become to the fact of photography, and so inured are we by now to its vulgarization. But not so then. There were some who, like stubborn cattle, refused to even believe that it was possible. What an obstinate race of ill-tempered beings we are, resisted by nature to anything that ruffles our
5: ideas or interferes with our habits. Maybe it's a good time to talk about the fact that you chose to make this podcast yeah. about photography.
3: So there's definitely a certain perversity. To yeah. It, uh, but there's actually something I really loved about that idea of working with images in a way that had to be described if you were to see anything. And that was suggested to me actually by some some things that I teach in a class on photo and literature that render verbal descriptions of visual material and sometimes don't actually show the material. So I'm thinking about something I, I first got to think about this from reading Marguerite Duras' The Lover in which she describes a photograph never taken on her crossing of the Mekong Delta. Uh, and it's a moment where she recognizes she's crossing over into kind of young adulthood and into sexual realization and seeing herself, seeing herself. But there's no photograph because no one would have thought it was a moment to photograph. And I've been really fascinated by that idea and I started looking for other moments in literature where there are verbal descriptions of photographs that are not embedded, so you don't actually see the photograph. Right. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it didn't exist at all. Yeah. And by the time we were making this uh, podcast, I thought, thats I think that would be perfect. Let's work with these images, but that we can't actually see.
5: We can only see through however we, we generate that material auditorily. Mm-hmm. That's great. So so I want to play in a minute. Th- th- this is the longest chunk we're going to play. It's a Umberto Echo essay. And oh, I ask great. you to introduce it um, for us. But also one thing that I really noticed that makes the essay work really effectively, I think, is the way that you guys use background music. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about your decision on like, what do they call it? The acoustic environment?
3: Yeah. So this this is a really good example of the collaboration that goes into this piece. So This was really driven by Scott Cohen's desire to do the Echo piece. He's taught this uh, in the past, at least. Um, I don't know if he's taught it recently. And he wanted to bring that to the show. It's a piece that he especially loves. And he actually found the archival sound, which is very hard to find, Mm. of the closing down of Radio Alice. This is something he managed to find, I think, possibly using the Wayback Machine uh, so stored right. on some Web mm-hmm. 1.0 yeah. sites. So. And we're just going
5: to hear a tiny snippet of yeah. it. It's going to be very hard for you to place, but that's what so it is. He, yeah. So he already began that kind of
3: ability to experience the moment that Echo is experiencing, bring that into, into our podcast. And then when he had recorded his piece with that archival sound, he sent it to me, and I was thinking about what kind of music would feel right for for the overall environment that we're building and for the experience we want to offer and for the ideas. So here it was something that was kind of abstract uh, electronic washes that felt uh, slightly menacing. Like there's mm-hmm. a degree of drama mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. but also at the same time uh, to me almost felt like an auditory equivalent of experiencing the past and the present coming together. Yeah. And that sounds very overthought but when I heard the piece I was, I was looking through a lot of different music trying to hear it yeah. as it as, as it would go with the echo piece that's what struck me you now.
5: know that's such a helpful comment Jared, because it reminds me of something i meant to say but i didn't write it down so then i forgot it which is that you know i've read really interesting articles about the golden age of radio and the golden age of tv that have made the point that in many ways it's really helpful to think about tv serials as fundamentally radio serials like in other right. words rather than thinking of the lineage from film, which is how we normally think about it, like it's visual packed into a small box, Mm -hmm. think about the TV as like an expanded version of the radio. So fundamentally the acoustic environment, you know, people often talk about watching the TV when they're in the other room. And I do this when Lisa and I watch like, you know, trashy spy thrillers, which we do a lot. Frequently (laughs) I'm not watching the screen. I'm just listening (laughs) and the the mood music in like, You know, counterpart will tell me when I need to turn back. And
2: also, it's it's like it's scaled for the living room, right?
5: Yeah. So it has
2: this kind of domestic. uh,
5: Totally. Right. Domestic scale. that Film
2: didn't exactly.
3: And and many of the early TV programs had been radio programs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're literally drifting from one medium to another. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not right to say that it's radio with pictures, but yeah. it's the same industrial production model. Yeah. It's the same commercial production model. Yeah. And they're often using the same actors and the same writers. And some of those are the same programs. The Lone yeah. Ranger would be one example of many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's
5: yeah, and I think you could even make that case radio. about um, TV news as well, where, like, liveness is the thing that yeah. radio and TV have in common, which film by definition doesn't have, so that, like, the right. talking head giving you the news, like, that could be, you know, the Hindenburg is a radio broadcast, but we remember that so vividly, you know? Right, right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and also that, you know, that choice of the TV news model of the desk and the sort of people facing the camera yeah. is just one kind of a choice from how radio might look.
5: Yeah, properly. totally. Okay, so let us play a long um, piece, uh, which is an Umberto Eco um, essay, which has now been kind of curated and store and scored and presented by Electro Library, and it it makes an argument about how you think about photography in its role within politics. It basically makes the case that a Eh, photograph can
4: make an argument.
1: A Photograph, by Umberto Eco. Ah, The readers of L'Espresso will recall the tape of the last minutes of Radio Alice, Eh, recorded as the police were hammering at the door. (laughs) One thing that impressed many people was how the announcer, as he reported in a tense voice what was happening, tried to convey the situation by referring to a scene in a movie. There is undoubtedly something singular about an individual going through a fairly traumatic experience as if he were in a film. There can be only two interpretations. One is the traditional life is lived as a work of art. The other obliges us to reflect a bit further. It is the visual work, cinema, videotape, mural, comic strip, photograph, that is now part of our memory which is quite different, and seems to confirm a hypothesis already ventured. Namely, that the younger generations have absorbed as elements of their behavior a series of elements filtered through the mass media. To tell the truth, it isn't even necessary to talk about new generations. If you're barely middle-aged, you will have learned personally the extent to which experience, love, fear, or hope is filtered through already-seen images. I leave it to the moralists to deplore this way of living by intermediate communication. We must only bear in mind that mankind has never done anything else. And before the technology of photography, it was other images, drawn from pagan carvings or illuminated manuscripts of the apocalypse. And now to another event. These last months within that variegated and shifting experience that is called The Movement, the men carrying 38 caliber pistols have emerged. From various quarters, the movement has been asked to denounce them as an alien body. Apparently, this demand for rejection encountered difficulties, and various elements came into play. Synthetically, we can say that many belonging to the movement didn't feel like labeling as outsiders forces that, even if they revealed themselves in unacceptable and tragically suicidal ways, seemed to express a reality of social protest that could not be denied. Basically, what was said was this. They are wrong. But they are part of a mass movement. And the debate was harsh, painful. Now, last week there occurred a kind of precipitation of all the elements of the debate previously suspended in uncertainty. Suddenly, and I say suddenly because decisive statements were issued in the space of a day, the gunmen were cut off. Why at that moment? Why not before? It's not enough to say that the violent riots in Milan made a deep impression on many people... ...because similar events in Rome had also a profound effect. What happened that was new and different? We may venture a hypothesis, once again recalling that an explanation never explains everything... ...but becomes part of a landscape of explanations in reciprocal relationship. A photograph appeared. Many photographs have appeared, but this one made the rounds of all the papers... It was the photograph of a young man wearing a knitted ski mask, standing alone in profile in the middle of a street, legs apart, arms outstretched horizontally, with both hands grasping a pistol. Other forms can be seen in the background, but the photograph's structure is classical in its simplicity. The central figure, isolated, dominates it. If it is licit, and it is necessary, to make aesthetic observations in such cases, this is one of those photographs that will go down in history and will appear in a thousand books. The vicissitudes of our century have been summed up in a few exemplary photographs that have proved epoch-making— The unruly crowd pouring into the square during the ten days that shook the world. Robert Capa's dying miliciano. The marines planting the flag on Iwo Jima. The Vietnamese prisoner being executed with a shot in the temple. Che Guevara's tortured body on a plank in a barracks. Each of these images has become a myth and condensed numerous speeches. It has surpassed the individual circumstances that produced it. It no longer speaks to that single character or those characters, but expresses concepts. It is unique. But at the same time, it refers to other images that preceded it or that in imitation have followed it. Each of these photographs seems a film we have seen and refers to other films that had seen it. Sometimes it isn't a photograph, but a painting or a poster. What did the photograph of the Milanese gunman say? I believe it abruptly revealed, without the need for a lot of digressive speeches, something that had been circulating in a lot of
5: talk. But that words so, uh, alone could not To me, I love that turn it. at the end where it makes the case that this is, you know, the photograph as argument. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do think it goes back to the point that, I mean, in a way it relates to the, chamber, the cabinet of curiosities point. Because it, it, it has to do with whether we think of artwork as having this long durée existence where it's always around and we can bring it up mm-hmm. and show it to people. Like, we discovered this a marvelous piece of sound from Radio Alice. We can bring it back to you, or we think about artwork in that moment of, you know, vivid presentness, where mm-hmm. all of a sudden people saw this photograph and boom, it changed their thinking. Right. 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 One one thing that's interesting,
3: um, and maybe there are listeners out there who, who would correct me on this, but I think the thing that Echo gets wrong in a predictive way is I don't believe that this. Image of the Milanese gunman actually did enter into a broader way of thinking about hmm. images that have shaped consciousness. In some way, it really resides in Echo's account. Mm-hmm. Right. So he sees on something absolutely at that moment, galvanized right. opinion gave a human face to a thing that was on a scale that was beyond imagination, and suddenly made it look like insanity. Right. This was chaos. This was not heroic. Right. And mm-hmm. so that that did shift that conversation. But he says this is going to enter into. Uh, a future history of very significant images. And he thinks about the Kappa image, right, or uh, the image of the execution in in Vietnam and so forth. Mm -hmm. And to the best of my knowledge, it actually has dropped out of that conversation and exists only in Echo's
5: framing of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there's two thoughts that come out of that. One is whether it matters. Like, first of all, all, it's always the nature if you're writing about the present you're always going to be wrong more often than you're right like it's easy I mean I, I talk about this with my friends who teach contemporary literature all the time because it's easy for me to pick a bunch of you know Thomas Hardy and George Eliot novels to teach and my you know my Friends who teach contemporary literature have to struggle with, like, well, which of the Pulitzer Prize winners right. should I do? But th- but then the other point that I think you're making, Jared, is implicitly that, that like, he's he's displacing his own cultural influence. Like, he's saying the influence is in the photograph, but actually it's more like right. in right. Right. his publishing. Pulitzer, Presumably yeah. that was a well-circulated essay at the time. Yes, and yeah. then appears in Travels
3: in Hyperreality in yeah. the early 80s, uh-huh. 82, yeah. 84. I yeah, can't quite yeah. remember when that came out. But I think it's and the reason that Scott wanted to bring this to the show is not so much because of the significance of that image, but because Echo who's doing an early shot across the bow of a postmodern account of the image. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a tradition he's working in from uh, Benjamin um, and, and Barth, but at the same time, this is fairly early on in terms of thinking about what a media saturated environment really does in terms of shaping political consciousness. That still feels very relevant. And I think Scott was right to identify. It feels as though if we just inserted some different reference points, yeah. right. we might be talking about the Gilets Jaunes um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and representations of, say, the or refugee an crisis or Antifa, right? Something like yeah. that. The ways in which the political becomes visualizable and therefore imaginable, and then arguments can get made about it because it circulates on yeah. a figure of a human doing a thing. Right.
5: Okay, so this brings me to, I think, one of the main reasons that I wanted to talk about the photographic podcast which is the question of where we understand the um the moment of like acoustic new media versus Mm -hmm. visual new media. Because Jared, the thing you're setting up now there with those, um, you know, striking, iconic, visually argumentative things that flood the visual public sphere Mm -hmm. might lend itself to an implicit counter argument, which we've read in like the pages of the New York Times about like, no, but newsprint is the alternative to that. It provides like a sober, deliberative space. Or you could even imagine, and this is like my favorite way to think about this is by way of um, in Frankenstein, when Frankenstein's monster tells his story, it's only the blind man Mm -hmm. that can hear him and not freak out, because he's so visually horrific that people have a somatic reaction to his visual appearance, but when they just listen to his words, that is when they listen to the podcast version of Frankenstein's monster, which we should do, by the way. We should totally do the Frankenstein's monster podcast. Hello. (laughs) I am a sad monster. Um, But, you know, the the, the point is that the acoustic No fire in the booth <laughs> yeah <laughs> the uh, the acoustic version is meant to be you know just like kind of in- innately more moderate. So that's one way of setting this up where visual not visual is bad, but visual is on one side of the spectrum and then the acoustic is kind of on the other. Is that where we want to land, or do we want to land sort of more on, a, on the?
2: That is not bad, but sort of one is more honest. Yeah, or authentic yeah.
5: Like the or, acoustic provides a space for deliberation or a, a, a space for truth or something, whereas uh-huh. the visual is uh, just telling stories that like like you know snap your synapses. Unreliable. Yeah, they trigger. They trigger like in like Aristotle talks about sensation as being one of the dimensions of the aesthetic experience, and that the visual triggers sensation. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: it's well, interesting we... that you're saying the visual triggers somatic sensations. Yeah. So there's.
5: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, no, but yeah. No, that's true, right? Because historically, sometimes people have said that of the senses, the visual is more distant, whereas right. something like touch right. is more, more immediate. More
2: rational or whatever.
5: Totally, yeah. that's true. But or but but just to keep the other side, the other s- way of thinking about this in play would be that whatever. Whatever media form is new is the form that really grabs people, by which logic, you know, the podcast could also be like that. So how do we want to how do we think about those things? Do we believe there is something more charged about the visual and more safe about the acoustic
3: Well, why asking? are you doing I'm all asking. this book
5: as a podcast
3: as opposed to, say, a video blog? What, what a I don't you know to how to use a video. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs>
5: okay. That's. Because I, I, I have a face <laughs> for radio. Not, <laughs> feel... Elizabeth Barry has a face for YouTube, <laughs> but I have a face for radio. So. Um. But, but is it, it, I mean, it surely can't be
3: the case that that's the only reason that you felt this was the medium that was right for having the kind of discussion you wanted to have.
2: Well, I mean, I think one of it, one of the things is where going back to the Cavern of Curiosities, um logic of your podcast, I mean, ours kind of follows the logic of the conversation. Right? Yeah. So, and that, you know, clearly in conversations, there is, you know, plenty of senses that might get engaged, but, but it's. Yeah, uh, the vocal is pretty primary. Totally, and, yeah, like, it's to very about,
5: important like, to us to do the conversations live. Like we like being face to face with one another. We have not liked it when we've tried doing it remotely. We didn't like that. So right. we do like sharing a space with one another. But yeah. right,
2: and also the conversation. There's lots of obviously there's choices that go into setting it up in the first place, but a lot of the choices also emerge through the conversation. We don't necessarily know exactly how it's going to go. Right. Um. So I think that lends itself to the auditory.
3: Um. Right, yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, a conversation is very different in terms of the energy of its directions than a much more kind of controlled, we're gonna have this sound at this moment, and right. we'll cut out that piece that we didn't like. And, yeah. yeah. Right, so our shaping of an auditory experience is a kind of different experience that we offer. Because yeah. You're, yeah. you're mentioning the the sensory registers of of the auditory. And I just think back to a time when um, my daughter Zoe was listening to Let's Pretend. Mm-hmm. Because I was thinking, oh, I love this. I'm going to play these for her. And we would, on our drive to school, we would play this. And she did Amazing love how them. How we
2: tyrannize over our children. Yes,
3: yeah. well, right, exactly. Curating their experiences. <laughs> yes. But I f- discovered actually that some of them were too intense because they were auditory only. Mm-hmm. Because what they did was to trigger images that were entirely in her mind. So yeah. there was no distance she could get from them, they were in her brain. Yeah, and I realize that this medium has um, power that others don't, or that that is different. Yeah. Right. So the ways that we experience visual material when it's produced only by sound, yeah, is a different set of probably neuroelectric reactions
5: even. Yeah. yeah. So that actually relates to a conversation that we were having earlier kind of somewhat off mic about the ways in which when you listen to podcasts you tend not to look at the people you're in the room with and and the thing i wanted to connect that to is that like so my experience of podcast is like when biking or when driving right. and in certain ways that is a form of blindness because, of course, you're looking when you drive. I'm not mm-hmm. an idiot, but you're looking at something <laughs> right. other than the story. too. Yeah. Puts, right? You're, yeah. Okay. Right. Definitely. But so I guess what I'm saying is that like in a way, maybe the ideal podcast audience is a blind audience in that mm-hmm. broader sense of what blindness means there. Like the blind man in Frankenstein just being capable right. of focusing on the ear. Okay. But, but – But taking into account, Jared, what you're saying, that that's actually kind of, there's an overload version of that too. Like it can be too vivid.
4: I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals... slash nbn50 to get 50% off.
2: Can I ask you literature dudes, um... About the uh, term ekphrasis,
4: yes, mm-hmm.
2: which is, as I remember, uh, yes. right, writing writing a piece about yeah. something that is in some other medium, especially like a painting.
5: Or yeah, I think right. I think ekphrasis can actually describe any kind of translation, can't it? From one S- certainly at this medium point, a, mo- a modern yeah. understanding of ekphrasis absolutely it begins
3: with a poetic description of uh, visual material, right. but it, it gets much broader. And so, right. yeah, absolutely. So you're
2: so. Your episode, then, could be seen as an ekphrastic Absolutely. project. Absolutely. Yeah. It's
3: an acrostic project on acrostic projects. Right. <laughs> uh, it's
2: yeah.
5: kind of a hall of mirrors. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so speaking of which, I know we what have... what is this? We, and, and <laughs> I, Jared, I definitely want to hear about where you guys are heading with this, but before yeah. we do, that, that just leads me to... I'm still thinking about, like, the form of compare and contrast between the sort of beautifully curated acoustical space you do and the kind of... <laughs> Flabby conversation that we do. Um, oh. So, can I ask you guys a question? Um, no, I don't need your pity. It's okay. Yeah, I like my flabby conversation. I'm 51, man. I have to like flabby. Come on. I'm not uh, what we're talking yeah. About. Um, but or the question is myself, this I, I just recently else? read two John Le Carré, li- sorry, I listened to two John Le Carré novels, and one of which was the traditional audiobook where somebody just read the whole novel through, mm. and the other was a staged drama version of the the, Mm -hmm. you know the episodes Mm -hmm. so with people playing the voices so my question is do you guys have a preference between those two things because i just vastly preferred hearing someone read the whole book like that was my preference i wanted to hear the book and have it drop into my head but i understand why you would want to do it as a radio play i I get the appeal of that Mm -hmm. so do you guys have a feeling about that it had foley man, like great foley man, yeah. like doors creaked open. I mean, I feel you know? like
2: I'm so unaccustomed to listening to radio plays that they feel—I don't think I can really get the juice out of them because they feel so strange and stagey to me. Um, whereas, you know, there's nothing intrinsically less stagey about reading a book into a microphone, but but somehow I'm able to experience that more yeah. as a more natural medium. Mm-hmm. So that's, but that may just be me.
3: Yeah. I guess I would say, and this is perhaps a bit evasive, it really depends on the experience I'm looking to have. I If I want to hear a political conversation, I want it direct and live and I want to hear ideas unfold and I don't want to have the sense that it's artificial, which would take me out of that moment mm-hmm. and make mm-hmm. me feel that it's inauthentic and that's not what I was what I was seeking. But I can certainly imagine, a very well done production. It would have to be well, the acting would have to be good, and the sound would yep. have right? Yeah, yeah. So imagining a very high level production, if I'm seeking an experience of world building, mm-hmm. where I want more world senses, building, yeah, right. more senses activated, totally. then yeah. then that's something that I might seek out. Right. So it's I'm not necessarily going to come down on one side or another. No, no, no. It, it makes sense. It, I it think your very, podcast very builds
5: a world and I don't yeah. think ours does and I do no. think that's a difference.
3: Well, yeah. yours builds uh, the world of the sharing
5: of social energy through conversation so it's a different yeah. kind of world. Well, yeah, we invite you to imagine being part of that conversation, yeah. but it is different from building. It's not a Gesamtkunstwerk. I mean, you're more Wagnerian. We're more, uh, we're more I, I like, don't know how to take not. that. We're more <laughs> like <laughs> Schubert leader. <laughs> <laughs> off, off so, on the edge. So um, I have
2: a question that just occurred yeah. to me. So occasionally my kids um, have, to, I mean, every year they have to read a book before they, for the next year of school, right? And it, Mostly sucks. Most of them are not very good, I find. Um, and, Hat tip to the Brooklyn Public Schools. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and I always find myself in this sort of quandary because, you know, I buy the book and then I try to get them to read the book, and you know, they're they're readers. They read things, uh, but often it's kind of a struggle to get them to read this particular book, and I don't feel very invested in it often. But I feel this like it's cheating to get the book on uh, Uh, the audio book. So why do we feel like why do I feel like it's cheating? That's my question. Or maybe it is cheating or maybe.
3: Well, I I mean, I suppose
2: hearing it and and. um, Yeah, they're taking
3: in content, which is different from absorbing, digesting, and thinking about that content. It's not its not well, to say that you can't but the, do that. But
5: the argument is that you wouldn't be. It's not just content, right? Because you still have to decipher the syntax of a sentence that yeah, someone reads. Sure. Right. And right. I mean, you
2: know, it's certainly, we've all had the experience of our passing our eyes over a page. Yeah. In a reading-like, you know, activity Very without...
3: Yeah. But what you can't do, or it would require a different way of listening to an audiobook, is something that is one of the principal... Pleasures of reading, which is to move away from that page and that imaginary world into whatever it's making you think. Because if you do that while listening to an audiobook, you will miss content. You will miss the next set of sentences. Isn't
2: that sort of the opposite of what you just said about your daughter and the? You know, being more afraid about let's pretend because well, are into her.
3: Well, those are criminals. those are no, because he's, he's saying it's a com- he's
5: but he's I, saying it's so a it's command. That. He's a command performance also. Right. Like he's yeah. saying that you can't stop the, the the drone of the words. So, but I have two thoughts you about that. Though. You could, yeah. First of all, technologically, yeah. you can, and I think I guess our children bit, are really good at like hitting the pause right. button. What, but what I am try to
3: underline is the difference between um, I think uh, attention yeah. and what we do without attention and um, the medium by which we
5: absorb uh, the information. I was actually thinking we should do a podcast experiment which would be so fun, which would be to have one person in here like reading out an essay or a story or whatever mm-hmm. and the other people should just interrupt with whatever thoughts come into their heads <laughs> like in other words we should try to document that thing that Roland Barthes says in the pleasure of the text which is that the reader's power is to choose when to skip or when to daydream right. Right. but we should record it in real time so yes. it would be like those um you know Snoopy's train of consciousness it's like the MST3k of the
2: right. reading right
5: Right? <laughs> is that Mystery Science Theater three thousand? Oh, okay. Okay. I, I was doing. I had to. I had to write it down and look Isn't at it in my called, mind. Is that only my Mystery Science Theater yeah. three thousand is MST three K.
2: See? Yeah. Wow. See now if you, you know, listen to more books on tape would have
5: picked up on that one. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't see so. that being the major educational moment of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the idea of stream of consciousness reading. Yeah, I me just too. I would I would love you to know Elizabeth what's going on in my head as you <laughs> as, as you read your favorite your favorite uh, what would you read what would you pick for like if you read out your favorite short story or something. I think I might with, pick like a. With
2: commentary, with yeah, my own. Yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, come back to me on that. Yeah. Jared, which review oh. you think? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I don't carry an yeah. answer to this question around in my head all the time, yeah. but. Uh, I
5: think for me it might be like Robert Frost poems or something like that. I don't know. Uh huh. Like I, think the, I was
2: thinking P.G. Wodehouse, the great story. Oh yeah, handicap, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Well, that that might just be my favorite story.
5: No, but so. that would be that. I don't. I think people wouldn't daydream while they were listening to that because that's so arresting. Right. I think you're right. I mean, that's a great choice, but I don't think people's mind would wander while they were listening. Right. Maybe
3: yeah. Um, I I might do something from Dubliners.
5: Oh mm-hmm. yeah. That's well, cool. that would be perfect yeah. because those, like the dead, like the de- yeah, those, the dead, yeah, those James Joyce stories definitely kick you off into right. a different yeah. register. Especially
2: with the the dead is the one yeah. that has this image of the snow. That's right. right. Yeah. Right? So that also kind of brings you into yeah. a visual register where you would
3: be. Okay. And L- a
5: Foley artist for its tapping against. Uh-huh. The okay. Yeah. So 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 a podcast of listening, <laughs> listening well, as podcast. I
3: <laughs> I feel like um, just just so not to lose this thread that there's yeah. something that we're circulating around which is actually a very kind of frankfurt school question we're almost right in the zone of critique that horkheimer and adorno were in the culture industry about what kinds of mediums are monodirectional and right. which ones are reciprocal yeah and even though we can hit the pause button on yeah. this podcast or on any kind of audio yeah. medium they aren't really reciprocal yeah in. Right. The way that, for instance, reading a book is, in a sense, now we can't reach to the author and say, "Don't say right. that," but we can stop on the page, we can mark the page, we can close that mm-hmm. book, we can think differently, we can resist what's being but, said. But you know, when or, I
2: listen to a we're book on have a tape, different tape that I... degree of engagement with it's it. a yeah. different yeah. kind of engagement. And
3: book. when you were saying, John, like this is training, that's kind of the issue. What do our expressive mediums train uh, all of us, not just kids, obviously, yeah. to expect from a certain mode of address? What kind of attention do we pay when an authoritative
5: voice is coming out over the radio? So I totally hear what you're saying, but I... Well, I feel like there is, you know, when you read the Jeremiads against like how modern day media are destroying thought, which, right. by the way, have been yeah. published from like 1150 A.D. Yeah. Exactly. to the present. Right. Like, the hated writing. Right. So the Jeremiads sometimes run along the lines of the problem with the new media is that they don't allow any space for thought. But with the contemporary media, right. I've also heard the other Jeremiad, it's too easy for people right. to produce content now. Right. So it, you can't really have it both ways. Right. Like either it's suppressive of content or Generative well, it's generative of content, like the, but it no, can't like, be, you can't condemn it for yeah, both. Yeah, I
2: mean, they used to say that, you know, computers made people too antisocial, and now it's like...
5: Right, it, makes, it makes you too social. Too social right. right? Right, because all the bullying is cyberbullying. Right, right. right. Yeah, that's a really good point. But so, I kind of feel like these arguments
3: have always been true. Both yeah. sides of that argument uh-huh. have always been true. Right. Plato was absolutely right. Writing did destroy oral culture. Except mm-hmm. for what we're doing right now, it yeah. took
5: millennia for it to come back. Yeah. But yes. yeah. so yes. that was. Yeah. 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 But that here was, in our locked yeah. room, only one side is allowed to be right. Sorry, <laughs> that's just in this room. In the world, yes, but in this room, yeah. only yeah. one there side are only can be two right. So, exactly. There are. All right. All right. I, say, I think I Echo. Correct. I think Echo would have made a good a good podcast partner. Yeah. I'm sorry we couldn't interview. I think he that. would have loved this medium. Um, I definitely agree Um, so Jared uh, this has been great but as we move to wrapping up tell us about tell us uh, about next steps like where are you guys heading Uh,
3: well I think we'll try to keep refining our ability to create an interesting sound experience the way the episodes have I don't know if this is obvious from if you listen from the first one on they develop from the prior episode so we began with storytelling which had a great deal necessarily to do with memory and cultural Mm -hmm. transmission and and so we did an episode on memory and mm-hmm. there were issues about photography that came up in the episode on memory. So we did the mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. on photography mm-hmm. coming out of this work on photography. Um, this may seem a little more far afield, but I got to thinking about because so much of the writing was about black and white photography and mm-hmm. about color. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. That's a future episode. But from this which materials. is even
5: easier to do on a podcast than yeah. photography. Well, yeah, I, I
3: like a challenge. I do like a challenge. But the next episode will be about identity, which emerges directly from a lot of the things that we were encountering yeah. with this episode on photography. So what yeah. I like is a sort of fractal process Yeah, that we keep, I don't know if it's drilling down or moving outward, maybe it's... It sounds exposed. more like Brownian motion, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. good, or I'll take it. Random uh, walks, yeah. So I, I like the idea of episodes developing in that way that something that we got interested in leads to the next set of questions and then you know leads us to ask people how would you now address mm-hmm. this issue what would you bring to that conversation so i think that's how it will continue to develop cuz that feels the most organic and exciting that you know we something in an episode touches off the desire for the next one yeah cool and hopefully we
5: we'll have people listening so that we have a reason to keep going well I'm sure you will it's a great show and it will if it doesn't yet have a great audience I'm sure it will um, increase in due course it will now from... yeah of course <laughs> yes <laughs> um, so so
2: Shall we switch to yeah. recallable books? Let's is do that. that. Let's switch. I, I just, just wanted to make sure there wasn't was there. I didn't want to.
5: I didn't want to cut you off if you had another final oh, okay. question. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's switch. Let's conclude as we always do with recallable books, which is a recommendation for further reading on the topic. Though I have to say today, since the topic is a podcast, I think we're going to have a much broader construal of the recallable. So it's like let's call it the recallables. Like the opposite of deplorables. Um, so as with the books and podcasts we discussed today, there's going to be links to these on our website, along with other material for folks who want to explore the topic further. So, for example, not only the photograph of the um, Milanese uh, gunman, but also the echo essay itself will be available. Um, and, yeah, so, Jared, can I ask you as our guest to to. Um, sure, I, I guess what I would recommend, maybe many
3: of your listeners already know it but it's such a touchstone of contemporary conversation about photography. Um, I mean, it's embedded in the discourse of of how people write about photography now, whether they're uh, critiquing it or not, uh, would be Roland Barthes' Camera Lucida. I think that if, if your listeners don't know it, it is a magnificent book. It's beautiful, it's heartbreaking. He wrote it after the, the death of his mother, and a lot of it really has to do with, and we have a, a piece from that uh, on our second,
5: uh, part of the photography. Yes, episodes. read by my friend Daniel. Read Itzkevitz. by Daniel Itzkovitz in yeah. uh, his wonderful plummy basso. Um, highly... <laughs> plummy basso Itzkovitz—that's <laughs> what they call him.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that book is really magnificent. Uh, a way of introducing anybody to think about photography not just as what it delivers visually, but what kind of experiences it offers. And I I can't recommend that
5: highly enough. Plus, it has great Maplethorpe photographs in it. Yes, that's right. That's right. Armpits. Remember the armpits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Cool. That's great. And Elizabeth?
2: Yeah. So uh, I'd like to recommend uh, the work of Sarah Lewis, uh, who's a um, Mm. professor at Harvard University. And um, I first learned about her work because quite recently because of a New York Times Lens blog article about uh, photographs and race and sort of speaking of how photographs tell arguments. about how um, the kind of um, normal baseline of taking photographs uh, became, well, baked into is the wrong term, but sort of uh, baked into uh, film photography. And and um, she talks about this thing that I had never known about called the Shirley card, which is this sort of, um, you know, baseline for measuring skin tone, which was, uh, you know, very fair-skinned white woman who was putatively named Shirley. and she also, in particular, I'd also like to recommend um, an edited issue by Lewis of uh, the magazine Aperture from summer 2016 on vision and justice, which encapsulates a lot of these really fascinating issues about um, race and argument and photography.
5: That's great. I learned recently she's, she is one of four professors at Harvard who's working on Frederick Douglass photographs right now. So it's wow. yeah. <laughs> clearly <laughs> there's, there's the movement afoot, which yeah. is great. Um, So and I'm going to recommend on the other sort of side of our discussion, I'm actually going to recommend a different podcast just because it has an acoustical environment that I really love. It's called The Habitat. Uh, It's, I think, a Gimlet um, show and it follows, uh, uh, I want to say it's six. Yes, it's six people who lock themselves up in a Mars dome simulacrum on a mountain in hawaii and it's part of the training to figure out what it's eventually going to be like to live on mars but so it essentially allows us to have science fictional sound of people living inside inside a mars dome where you know you you get to hear them putting on their space space suits in order to go out and do walks through the uh, um the volcanic landscape that they're in and it's just it's just kind of a paradise of Uh, sonic environment and a total invitation to to let's pretend to imagining. I really, I think it's a a wonderful, it manages to be a sort of a factual world building exercise. I love it. Hmm. I think that brings us to the close of our very, very special Recall This Book. (laughs) Recall This Book is hosted um, by John Plotz and Elizabeth Ferry. Sound editing is by Claire Ogden. Uh, Web design and social media is done by Claire and Matthew Schratz. And future upcoming episodes include a conversation with the Chinese science fiction writer Shen Liu, another with Zadie Smith, and one with the poet David Ferry and the biologist E.O. Wilson. So finally, if you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to tweet about us, mention the show on Facebook, or write a review, and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And please do check out the Electro Library, really wonderful podcast. So thank you very much, Jared, and thanks to you all for listening. Thank you both.